We welcome you again to Western Park Baptist Church as we carry on our journey uh, through Lent. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, which he calls the Gospel of God, and using that as our guide as we travel with Jesus, Jesus and as we consider the face of Christ. I'll just remind you of the online uh, piece we have going that you can add your comments or quotes or whatever in terms of uh, insight into the face of Jesus. So we have these going together. Today we're looking at Mark 2, uh, 13 to 28, and it reminds us that Jesus was someone who was, you know, living on the boundary lines, if you like. You remember that Jesus was from Nazareth, which was a very small village in the heart of Galilee, which is a northern province. Uh, Nazareth, not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It was a fairly insignificant place, but this is where Jesus is from. And so he's living on the boundary lines or on the margins in that sense. And then secondly, we also, as he interacts with the leadership of the day, he is not respected. He is seen as this, you know, person from the the rural areas, he hasn't been trained at the best schools, he doesn't have a, the highest degrees, he's critiqued at every level. So he's on the boundary lines, and yet he comes following his cousin John the Baptist and he's announcing the kingdom of God. And as we look at Christ, we see that he lives a radical life, but he doesn't live a fanatical life. He is radical in his commitment to God and how he understands the scriptures, but he's not fanatical. He's not calling you know, Israel to uh, rise up and fight against the Roman Empire. There, there's nothing of that. He recognizes that his kingdom is not a political kingdom. He says that. And so he's uh, radical, but not fanatical, living on the margin. So, you know, how we might identify with that in our own lives in any way, we can sometimes feel marginalized. We can feel like we are on the margins. You know, uh, in this extroverted world, if you're an introvert, then you're somewhat on the margins right away. And uh, there's a book called The Introvert Advantage. And, uh, you know, you can read that to try to get a sense of how one might be in the advantage at that point, but in some ways it's a big stretch in our society. So Christ on the margins, maybe we feel a bit of that as we make our way and carry on our way um, through the season of Lent. So our story begins with Jesus in um, Mark 3, or Mark 2, sorry, reads this way, Jesus went out again, again beside the lake, Lake of Galilee. And the whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. So here we see Jesus in the area again of Capernaum. He's living there. And he's, you know, starting to build relationships with people. And uh, 
when we hear this, this text suggests that, you know, they, maybe they've never met Jesus and Levi, who is Matthew, and it's just a surprise and Matthew gets up and follows him. But I suggest there's probably been some conversations about this possibility earlier. And so the first scene then is the call of Matthew, Levi, and how he follows and how that speaks to us in our journey through Advent. So they've, they've spoken, I would suggest. And Jesus has been, you know, saying to Levi, who is this tax collector, who is really despised by the public. He's seen as a, you know, Roman puppet and working for Rome, and not only that, but charging more than he has to, so he gets money himself and kind of builds up his own estate. So tax collectors were not looked at friendly by the community. And Levi is one of these. But nevertheless, Jesus is speaking to him and, and saying, you know, I would really like you to follow me. I would like you to be one of my disciples. In fact, to join my band of disciples, to, to join my inner circle. I want you to think about that and see if that's something that you would like to do. So I suggest that there's been some conversations, but this is the crisis moment. This is the moment of opportunity. This is the Kairos moment for Matthew, for Levi. And now Jesus is coming along and he's saying, Matthew, time's up. You have to decide here and now if you want to be part of my band or not. We've talked about it. Here we go. You keep returning to your tax collector booth and I'm telling you there's a whole new opportunity and a whole new way of living and you can enter into my group and we will travel together. And so at this point we read and we hear that, that Matthew you know, actually gets up and, and he says yes. So he, he, he in that moment decides yes, I will give up this old life and I will follow Jesus and be part of his group. Now we can wonder how this set with the rest of the disciples. They would not have liked Matthew. He's the tax collector. So Jesus might have had to do some convincing here to the rest of the group, Peter, James, John, hey, that Matthew's okay, I've invited him, so this is where we're going. You know, you may not be happy with this right away, but you'll, you'll learn, we'll get through this. And the other disciples have to adjust. Might not be their call that he'd be one of the group, but that's what Jesus is doing. We don't always get our own way. And so that's how the story unfolds. And then as it goes, we hear that now Matthew, Levi, throws a banquet, throws a big party, and at his house, and he invites his friends, other tax collectors, and the text says sinners. So tax collectors and sinners are invited to be part of this banquet. And Jesus is there. And Jesus is okay with that. Jesus is happy to be amongst this group of people who are not well thought of in the community, but Jesus is, is okay with that. And he's not saying, I won't go because of what people will think. He's there. And he's with this group. So while he's there, we hear that there were also some religious leaders from the community and they 
they see what's going on and they see that Jesus is eating with them, he's drinking with them, they're having a meal. A meal in the Middle Eastern uh, you know, environment was a, a time of closeness, sharing a meal together. And Jesus was doing that and, and they're looking on and they're critiquing him. And you know, they're not really happy about it. And Jesus with his insight, he's able to see into these arrangements he recognizes what they're, what they're talking about. And he just tells them, and he says to them with a, with a lovely statement, on hearing what they're saying, it is, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So he's saying these people may not meet all the requirements that you want. They have their own story but I've come to be with those who need help, who recognize they need help, who you call sinners. Those are the ones that I've coming to and calling to be in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is drawing near. That's a pretty cool story. So, you know, we can, you know, we can think about our own selves, you know, when, when people come, People might come to our church, who, you know, you might know in, in the community of Weston and, and you might know their stories and all of a sudden they come to church and I don't know, we may not feel that welcoming to them because we know who they are. I don't know. But Jesus is saying really that that's not the point. So the exclusivity that the religious leaders want, Jesus is not buying into. He's not buying into their lack of of acceptance to their prejudice, to their lack of tolerance. Jesus is saying, no, all are welcome. We say here at Weston Park Baptist Church, receiving grace, giving grace. If we receive grace, then we give grace. And so we remember that Jesus just says, come, right? Come, and then ultimately as we walk together, you are changed. But he's not saying the reverse. He's not saying you be changed and then you come. That's not his methodology. So it's a welcoming one, one that is accepting. And it's one that we also want to be thinking of in terms of our own journey of faith. You know, how accepting are we? God has accepted us. See if I get this going. My little clicker here. Jesus accepts us, how will we accept others? And then the other thing, I, I, I think the story tells us, even in the initial conversations between Jesus and Matthew, is we're invited to have an interior listening heart, a heart that is really focused on God. And Matthew is having to do this as he considers his call. And Jesus is listening to the Father's voice as he considers choosing his initial group of disciples. So it speaks to our exclusivity, but it also speaks to the kind of heart that we have. Will we listen? Will we listen for God's voice in the midst of all of what's going on in our lives? Jesus also steps out and he attracts and he draws people to himself. So will we do that? You know, will we engage? 
going forward in our work here in Weston, thinking of our new facilities and so on, still a few years away, but as we reconsider what our, what our role is in this community after COVID, how are we engaging, how are we drawing, doing our best to encourage people to be part of, of our group? How welcoming are we? Remember in days gone by in some of my classes at Tyndale, uh, when we think of mission in the city, how we reach out. Periodically I would speak about the, the mission downtown, right downtown on Young and just south of Bloor called Sanctuary, and Sanctuary is a ministry to, to the sex workers in the, in the city. And it, what's interesting about Sanctuary's work is that it is just what Jesus was saying. It's, it's about you come. You come and be part of who we are. You come. All the stuff you've got going on, you come. And then ultimately together we are changed as we know Jesus more. And some of my students went down to you know, visit Sanctuary and be with them and, and to just see the real mixture of people who walk the streets in the, in the city core and how they are together and how they even have fellowship around the communion table, that, that really impressed them, spoke to their hearts. Like they're saying, wow, this is really what the church should be about. Receiving and giving grace. That's what we see what's going on here in the story of Matthew and Levi at this dinner. So that's the first story. As it goes on, we see Jesus trying to show to um, these folk and Mark developing the walk of Jesus in terms of some issues, like who is indeed welcome. And we hear in the, in the verses that follow that Jesus and his disciple was, were not following um, the rules of fasting. You can see that, verse 18, 19. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And so again, there's this ongoing evaluation of Christ and Jesus and his disciples as they start their journey together. And the people recognize, they say, well, hey, we know John the Baptist, and look, John's disciples are fasting. The, the, the pattern was to fast two days a week, Wednesdays and Fridays. And they were doing that, and the religious leaders were doing the same. But they were recognizing that Jesus' disciples weren't doing that. And Jesus' comment to them was, well, look, you know, it's a bit of a metaphor, but he's saying as long as the bridegroom is here at the wedding, we don't need to fast. They'll be fasting in the future. What we need to do right now is celebration. And that was his answer. That was his it. It's okay, you guys fast, but we're not doing that. And so he distinguishes his journey from the journey of everyone else. We don't need to do that right now. We can celebrate, why? Because the kingdom of God is drawing near. And then he tells this uh, great little story, which I like parable, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one, note, pours new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wine skins. Now, what, what's Jesus meaning by that? Well, just thinking about the wine dimension, if you take new wine that's still fermenting, Jesus is saying if you pour that into old wineskins, the, the expanding wine will burst the wineskin. So the only way to do it is to put new wine into the new wineskin because it will expand and things will be all right. But he's saying, hey, the kingdom of God is drawing near. And it's a time for celebration. And it's a time for changing things up, if you like. And we have to be willing to do that. That's what Jesus is saying. So don't get caught up on all the rules of fasting, he's saying, because God is doing a new work. This, by the way, is not a comment to denigrate fasting normally. That can be a wonderful discipline. But in this story, Jesus is saying it's a time of celebration. When I hear that, putting new wine into new wineskins, Again, I come back to the idea that here we are starting up as a church family after two years of COVID. The world is different, I think, in some ways. The world has changed. Church life has changed. How we connect is changing and has changed. So then we consider Jesus' words, how do we put new wine into new wineskins? So we might ask, well then, what are the new wineskins that we need to develop so that we can go forward in faith and trust? New wineskins for the new wine. Something we need to be thinking about together as a community of faith, what, what that means? How do we go forward? Certainly, we need to be listening for God's voice, right? We need to be listening for his interior voice as we've already framed. So that's one way how things are changing. And then just briefly on another way, Mark introduces this whole concept of the Sabbath. And again, the religious leaders recognize that Jesus' disciples, how they handle the Sabbath is not the same as John's or the practice generally in the community. They, when they are hungry, they're going through the grain fields, they're picking grain, they're rubbing it in their hands and they're eating. And again, Jesus is asked about this. And again, Jesus defends them. And he says essentially the same thing. This is a time for celebration. The Sabbath is not made, we are not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made for humanity. Jesus has that statement. It's not that we are under all the rules of the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is actually for us so that we feel more at rest, more at peace, to feel God's presence, a quiet day, the circular time of work and rest. That's what the Sabbath is about. And so much so that Jesus says the Sabbath was made for men and women, not men and women for the Sabbath. Verse 27, verse 28. So the Son of Man, referencing himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of Man, the human. And in this case, Christ is Lord even of the Sabbath. You can imagine how the religious leaders reacted to that. But Jesus didn't back away. He just kept pushing that God is doing a new work in our world and in our nation of Israel and beyond. Can we be listening for God's voice? 
in the midst of all this. So hearing those stories, you know, what does it say to us? A few words as we conclude. <clears throat> We've already suggested that Jesus' practice questions our exclusivity. So to be welcoming of others, to be receptive, to really be receptive, to not get stuck, not get stuck in our faith so that we do not demonstrate grace to others. Jesus comes to be with sinners and not the righteous. So how is our response to those who are different from us? That's one way we can listen to him. We can also see that Christ is reaching out to us, is speaking to us. Will we be listening for his voice? How will we connect with him and how will we also go forth and connect in the broader community? How can we be radical but not fanatical? How can we as the kingdom of God, the community of faith here at Weston Park Baptist Church, how can we draw together and reconnect and do so in a way that our light goes out to others, that we might actually be salt and light and not stuck in a rut? So all these stories come together and Mark is framing them not just for the initial people but for the first century church. And so it's a message to the church, it's a message also to us. So may we hear these words, may we hear these stories and respond with open hearts and a desire to live in a radical way for God, for his glory so that the truth and light of Christ might be seen to others. May we hear these words, receive them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.